so welcome to this episode of Helix and Gene Medical Podcast Show. Today we have the wonderful Monique class with us. Monique is a very interesting individual, as you'll find out soon. She has a lot of experience in all different avenues of functional medicine, coaching, and uh, a, a, a various a, a, a various. She has various forms of uh, different. Um, thought patterns as well as new ways of looking at traditional and functional medicine and marrying it all with the mind. Um, Monique Class, MS, APRNBC, is a board-certified family nurse practitioner and a clinical nurse specialist in holistic health at the Center of Functional Medicine in Stamford, Connecticut. She is recognized as a thought leader and sought-after teacher in the fields of integrative healthcare and holistic nursing. Monique is a senior faculty member for the Institute for Functional Medicine, a clinical instructor for Yale Graduate School of Nursing, a senior faculty member of the Center of Mind-Body Medicine, a faculty member for the Integrative Nurse Coaching Certification Program, a founding member and director of coaching development for the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. Monique is certified in imagery and meditation from the psych psycho... Synthesis. Synthesis <laughs> Institute. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I got caught up on that one. Mind body medicine, yoga, and holds dual board certifications in coaching from the AHNCC and NBC HWC. Wow, that's impressive. You, you got me stumbling. Acronyms? Yeah, what are those acronyms to begin with? Just tell yeah. us a little bit about that first before we get into anything. Yes, multiple letters, alphabet soup, as they say. So <laughs> you know, to kind of put it in layperson language, one is a board certification. It's a, it's a nationally recognized uh, nurse coaching board certification that I set for mm -hmm. an exam. And the other is health and wellness coaching, which is recognized by the lay public. It's a lay coaching curriculum, health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And the other one is a nursing curriculum. Wow, fantastic. So Monique, this is obviously very, very impressive. And um, so my first question for you, Monique, in, in all of this is, you know, I want you to kind of take us back in the journey of Monique, right? Where, we, we, how did you come from a nursing background to all of a sudden becoming a mind-body leader within the functional medicine world? So, uh, so that's a great question. So uh, I was getting my nursing degree at University of Virginia. And mm -hmm. at the time, they had the nursing school over in its own little bubble over to the side. We had our own building and we went to classes. And I was going through all my nursing curriculum and going through my clinical rotations. And I felt like there was something missing in medicine. So I would cut classes and go over to the main. <laughs> I would cut classes to sit in on other classes. And, and I would sit in on theology and meditation and philosophy and psychology. And what I was realizing is what I was learning in those curriculums, I was bringing into the clinical setting and not that I'm dissing the medicine, but I felt like the medicine was missing that component. There was no integration. Well said. Yeah. And then I had the good fortune of one night me and my partner in crime were on the main campus and Ram Das was going to be here now. Yep. Wow. Ram Das was on campus. We knew nothing about him. We didn't know anything about meditation. We stumbled into his lecture. And it was like lights on. Not that I believed his path that you have to get to these states of consciousness through LSD right. and tripping and all this. <laughs> that he He's an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, he was an and, and to tell you the truth, there were only 40 of us in the room at the time. 
And so he was an interesting cat, 40 of us in the room, you know, so it was real intimate. We're talking with him and it was like lights on. I just said, you know, there's something here. There's other dimensions. There's other things that we're missing. And we got into deep metaphysical conversations at the time about like, where does the soul go after you die and things that were important, you know? So in medicine, we do everything to prevent death. It's like the worst possible outcome. We failed as practitioners if people died, everybody's afraid of death. And as I started to meditate and, you know, first I asked Ram Dass all these questions, but after that encounter, I started reading everything I could on where, where does the cell go after you die? Uh, you know, what happens meditation, you know, and I started really on this journey. So my first job so, at school. Ra- sorry. So Ram Dass was your original spark into the metaphysical world and meditation. Well, he was one of the, that, th- that was a moment that I remember, but I was heading in the direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be pulled there. Absolutely. Theology and religion and psychology. Right. And I was like, we're missing it. And then that was the moment where I said, you know, we've got to marry the two. And then I started reading, uh, you know, all kinds, uh, Kepitzin and, um, you know, all kinds of Dolores Krieger was do, was talking about energy medicine in the nursing world. And there were a lot of nursing thought leaders that were talking about mind-body medicine and, and all of that. So I, I dug into um, the literature and mm. started having my own direct experience. And then I figured when I graduated nursing school, well, you know, I, I need to know more about the topic. And I was really fascinated by where does a soul go after you die. So I chose to work night shift on a hospice unit. And no one's really paying attention to what you're doing, night shift on a hospice unit. And you know, there's no, you're not going to change outcomes. You're, you know, that that's the path that they're on. And so, you know, I just got to play with imagery and meditation and being with people and listening to the story and comforting people and doing all of these things that I learned outside of my scope of practice and bringing that into the dying experience and kubler ross was it was you know spot on with her yeah stages, sure right her, her stages of, of dying but no one was teaching you how to be with people when they're dying and no one was talking about um that, that sacred moment when people actually transition out and how you can enhance that sacred moment in that transition no one was so, picking up on that piece was that something that gave you internal comfort being able to be the person that actually helps somebody go through that transition because they, I, I agree with you that's something that is so missed right I mean if you look into the Tibetan book of the dead right it's it's all about this conversation right how do you prepare someone for death I mean it's a book that's this long I have read it um, I can't tell you I understood it all but I have read it <laughs> and, and and you know and and what happens is it's so interesting that that a lot of what they talk about is that the person that is with these people in teaching them this avenue of transition, sort of say, if you believe in that, it, 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 it awakens something in you that has this long lasting trickle effect that might have gotten you to this place today. Yeah, well, well, it, it certainly did. And, you know, so it's bi-directional, meaning yeah. you can influence their process and, make them whole so they transition without the suffering and without the attachment, right? It, you, you, you can work with them on that level. And then when they do that, you know, there's a portal that happens if you're with them when that experience is going on where, you know, there's an opening, there's a portal where you become part of uh, the energy field 
of that yeah. in, a positive, in a positive way, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, this whole process as a hospice nurse where it's called sanctifying the body. So after they transition, we prepare the body, dress it up. And, and, and what I learned very quickly is what they looked like and were like right before they died, their body didn't uh, even resemble physically to our eyes, resemble what they look like when they were alive, right? Something had, had left. And yes. it wasn't just the breath and the heartbeat, like something had left, right? So it gave me great comfort to know that there was something beyond this physical realm and that I could help people do that. And How did you take that experience and transition it into what you do today in your coaching world and be able to connect that type of because it's almost like an outer body experience for you. you, yeah. know, you're, you're, so, so how did you take that and pull it into what you do today? Um, I'm really curious as to how that yeah. relates to, the, to, 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 to what you're doing now. It's a great question. So what I realized is that, you know, it, it was a lot of work preparing people emotionally when I only had uh, weeks, sometimes days to do that. And listening to all those life review, what I realized is a lot of choices that people make, made on the road to chronic disease and a lot of choices people made in relationship, a lot of unresolved pain and conflict with friends, family, and betrayals. All of those things were the things that people were holding on to that were preventing them from transitioning in this beautiful way. And so when I understood that, and you're looking in functional medicine, we look for upstream causes. So the upstream causes were, well, how can you begin to work with people through mind, body, medicine, and meditation to prepare them for this transition at the end, their whole lives, right? Where, where, they're, where you're bringing in mind, body, and spirit. They're working on all of these dimensions. They're making healthier choices and finding, getting into alignment with their deeply held values and beliefs. So they don't have any regrets. The people that die really clean, like my father did that, they had no regrets. They played it well. They didn't have wow. enemies, conflicts, things that they wish they had done differently. They played it well. And they die well. It's just a different experience. So once I got that, I realized that there was a lot we could do early on to change things if we caught people early on. So it wasn't my design or plan. I was trying to work hospice at uh, Stanford Hospital and they had no openings. But so I left Greenwich working at Stanford, trying to work in their hospice unit. They had no openings. So they said, we're going to move you to maternity. Where <laughs> <laughs> to God, because we've got no openings and the rest is history. Then I started working wow. with birth instead of death. That is that amazing? Like, oh well, it doesn't get any more upstream than <laughs> working with pregnant joke. women. Cosmic joke. Then working wow. with pre pregnant women, and uh, you know the rest is history, as they say. And then I met you know Joel Evans. My um, you know he was probably twenty nine at the time, or just turning thirty, uh, working as a uh, one of the new kind of hottest OBGYNs uh, on the on the circuit, very talented, very skillful. And I started working with him and he was just an open mind and he let me bring in a lot of my ideas and we did birthing classes uh, for husbands and wives and talking about nutrition, talking about mind-body medicine, talking about connecting to the fetus and all of these kind of not things that were novel at the time, right? That, um, 
you know, working on uh, their stress and their emotions and how they feel about being pregnant because that influences the imprinting of the stress response and really the imprinting of how the baby's gonna respond to life. So a lot of what gets programmed gets programmed in utero depending on the mom's emotional state. And so understanding that and working and what the mom eats. So we worked on all those different levels with our pregnant women and you know that's how I kind of launched it. And so I was coaching people before coaching was cool, before I knew I was coaching. I would say <laughs> and work with, you know, it was very important to me that I wasn't ramming my belief system down people's throat, but finding out right. well, what's it about for you? What are you interested in? How can you move towards a healthier state? How could you be in alignment with your deeply held values and beliefs? These were just questions because I was curious. I love people's stories. I wanted to know about people that I would ask. And then based on their response, we would have a dialogue. And what I learned really quickly is people can figure out for themselves what's the best next step. I love that. Much better than me. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, I, this is one of my core philosophies and I loved what you just said, right? I mean, there's so many of these fake gurus out there that, that tell you, this is the way things need to be. These are the steps you have to follow. You, uh -huh. you know, you're right on. If you have an understanding and you are able to ask the right questions, they can figure out the answers themselves. There's nothing better and more powerful than that. Yeah, I love that. And in functional medicine, and Monique, you can certainly speak to this, how important it is that we create relationship and rapport with our patients in a safe environment for them to discover within themselves those triggers and events and stressful things and just to go back through their histories. And sometimes even the first time you sit down and do a history, they don't hit on the thing that where the light bulb goes off for us. And then at another time they mention something and all of a sudden all the pieces of the puzzle make sense. Yeah. I mean, Lori, it is the exact same thing as a life review on the hospice unit, right? right. If you give people an opportunity and you just sit and as my Spanish teacher used to say, Sierra La Boca, shut your mouth and let them yeah. just talk and then ask, profound questions and not precise questions like you're trying to get a specific answer, but just ask them open-ended questions, people will self-discover. And so- yeah. Get them to think, spark. Yeah, get that spark. And so you put it in coaching language, but to me it's a spiritual experience and you're hoping to move people towards self-realization and self-discovery. And it's not my discovery of them, it's giving them the space and giving them my attention and just holding it so so that they can find out about themselves in a new way. Someone's actually like that's fantastic. So, Monique, if we will, if we can rewind you back a little bit. So we 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 had a we had a spark with Ramdas, and then I know you had a little interaction with Dr. Oz. Can we talk a little bit about where you went from Ramdas to Dr. Oz to where you are today? <laughs> so. You know, I, I finished my nursing curriculum and I have all of this kind of excitement and all the, these ideas to blend nursing and mind-body medicine. And NYU and College of Neurochelle were getting off the ground a pilot curriculum that got certification as a clinical nurse specialist in holistic nursing. 
And there was 50 of us that went through the curriculum. I think the first class, which was the class I was in, maybe had 20, maybe a little bit less. And so we went through the curriculum and it was uh, unbelievable where they took us through learning, you know, different modalities, different skill sets, learning the, uh, not only the philosophy and the modalities, but the the science behind all these things. That's where I, I got a year long certification in, in imagery and meditation through psychosynthesis. It was all part of this curriculum. I learned energy medicine, you know, therapeutic touch and healing touch and all those things. And towards the end, when I had to do a clinical rotation, um, Jerry Whitworth, who was running, uh, doc, was with Dr. Oz and running his, um, you know, what really wasn't a center then, it was just a couple of people doing things, gave my instructor a call and said, listen, we need, send us somebody, we need some help, we need uh, somebody with a license to come into the operating room, because Columbia will only let in somebody with a nursing license to do energy work. So, you know, send me your top people. And so me and my partner in crime went, and again, we were there for probably three years. What started out as a clinical rotation where I was in the operating room, ended up writing IRBs and doing studies and, you know, being a core part of his initial team with investigating all of these things and seeing, you know, what's the scientific validity? Could we change outcomes? Could people get extubated quicker? Was there less depression and anxiety after open heart surgery? Because depression was one of the number one side effects. And then when the hearts would come off of the helicopter, we'd be there when the hearts come off, we do energy work on the hearts. Cause remember they're getting a heart typically from somebody who's been in a car accident, a motorcycle accident, big trauma, right? So there's trauma in, if you understand energy medicine or believe in energy medicine, there's trauma heart. So we do energy medicine on the heart. We'd be in on the surgery. We'd know the people ahead of time because at that time, if you were waiting for a heart, you were stuck on a machine called an LVAD and they were big machines. So you were on a locked board and you couldn't leave the hospital. So you either died waiting for a heart or if you were blessed, someone came in that was a good match and you got a heart and you lived. And we would spend a lot of time just hanging out with the LVAD people doing mind body medicine, writing our research. Then hearts would come in, we'd get a call, go down there, do energy work on the hearts and then be in on the surgeries. So, so let me, so energy work on the heart. Let's, can we get into that for a little bit? Um, for those who are wondering, what do you mean energy work on a heart? Right? So what, 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 what does that consist of? Is there a method to it? Is that something that, you know, obviously through your teaching, you learn, you put your twist in on it, you know, how does that work? Yeah. Well, you know, energy is energy. You want to call it energy. You want to call it chi. You want to call it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's got all kinds of names, so, you know, and, and everybody's got their own brand of schooling. And, and at the right. end of the day, they're talking about the same universal energy. So yes. it's, it, and if you want to call it healing, if you want to call it blessing the heart, if you want to call it intentionally, you know, being over the heart. So therapeutic touch just happened to be the way I was trained. And that's, you know, sensing through the palms of your hand, different imbalances through heat and sensations and repatterning the field outside of the heart. So we know from now the research, even the Institute of Heart Math, if you use a magnetometer, that the heart has an electromagnetics when it's beating yep. that radiates three to four feet and has the capacity to change people at a three to four feet capacity with, with its energy field, just by changing the coherence of the heart.
And so, isn't know, that fascinating? <laughs> we're electrical beings. We run right. on electricity. That's and right. We it's do. It's not right. a leap. Like our heart, everything that we do as human beings, we're, right. we're electrical. Right. right. We're electrical circuits, right? Right. right. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah. So it's just, you know, working like above the heart, doing energy medicine on it, kind of getting into the best position, repatterning the field of the heart before it's. Uh, put in right. So if you want to put it in Catholic terms, it would be saying blessings over it. So whatever you know, but it's you're not the doer, right? So we right. as practitioners are inviting in an intelligence higher than us to work through our body. Right. You're with, the vessel, right? With the intention Got of it. healing the trauma, so that we can insert this heart in somebody, and they perhaps may not have to feel that vibration of suffering. Right. When, they, right. when they come out of anesthesia. That was the intention. Wow. That is, uh, very you know, I, it's very powerful. It, from a metaphysical level, there's so many different layers of depth in this little conversation <laughs> of what you just said. Um, but it's also, you know, you know, there's a generosity there. And, you know, the idea that you're taking on the energy of, of some other person. And I can only imagine, I've heard stories about this, of people feeling like there's somebody else. I've, I've heard those stories. This is very powerful. You know, how, how do you connect that to the medical world? Well, you know, we were, we were trying to connect it at the time through. Right. Because the medical world, the, the, you know, let, let, let's call a spade a spade here. You know, the medical world is not so open to this kind of conversation. You know, it's a very uh, black and white, um, you know, and I, I'm not knocking it, but, you know, that's the way that that system is taught and operated, right? So to bring in this type of work that to them seems very ambiguous, yet to someone like you, it's crystal clear. Um, how do you get them to buy in? How do you implement this type of work? And to backtrack just a slight bit. Yeah, yeah, but just a slight, you said you got a call from Columbia University who is a, who is, that's, a, that's not a, uh, you know, a, a small place. That's a very well world renowned area of medicine that is calling for this type of behavioral change through the heart and this type of medicine um sort of sister call it you know from what you do from healing standpoint how where did they come to understand that this works to get you in and how do you connect this to them from a spiritual to a medical place right so, really good questions um so the the proposal you know uh oz wasn't saying it worked or didn't work he, he was saying, we're men of science. We're obligated to see if we can make a difference on something that, that, that on a couple fronts, there, there's no downside. You're not going to harm a patient. It's not a pill. And it was, you know, to ease the suffering of both the people on the unit and to decrease the depression and extubate them faster. If something non-invasive could do that, why wouldn't he investigate it? So he wasn't sold on it. He actually didn't know anything about it at the time. But he was open to it. But he was open and he was their top cardiothoracic surgeon. They're not going to mess with him. And he said, we're men of science. We're obligated to investigate if these modalities work and if they can help our patients. And 
in what situations do they work? Where do they not work? What do they have the capacity to do? So he did it in the spirit of really good research. And Got it. that was the spirit. It wasn't, he said, these things work. We need to do them on everybody. He's like, let's investigate it. We were, we threatened everybody at the time because I there bet was, you did. Yeah. <laughs> no integrative medicine in any hospitals. Columbia was the first to do something like this, but you know, he really blocked, even though he didn't understand the specifics, he wanted to investigate it. Like, does it work? He was kind of curious. He was intellectually curious. And is this something that today mm, hospitals have adopted in certain areas? Does Columbia University continue to do this type of program, or is this something that kind of you know fizzled out when the when 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 you know the believers kind of stepped away? Because those the, those shifts change every couple of years, you know. <laughs> well, well, they're they're still doing it to to my knowledge. So, but, but what what happened? What happened at the time? was uh, everybody got up in arms because we were all over CNN, CNBC, you know, uh, CBS, um, you know, all these different. And so it was very, very threatening to the medical community was up in arms. So they began to publish that in JAMA and different articles, uh, disparaging things about therapeutic touch and stuff that was just untrue, right? They, they, they quack busters, you know, they really sure. wanted to discredit and, like I said, we weren't saying it works or it doesn't work. We're saying let's do really good science and yeah. see what happens. And that was really incredibly threatening. So there was a lot of bad um, press coming out and there's a lot of heat on Columbia. So it morphed in particular ways like the, the research, um, some of the research never got finished, but the research that did get finished was very, very positive. Some of it didn't get finished. And um, at the time, when all these cameras came in, that's how, you know, Oz became Oz, right? The cameras caught him and, and the rest is history. So his career took off in a different path. So it, my it, question, my next question here is about the research, right? So, yeah. so where, where is the research today in this? And, and is, you know, is, is, it, is, is the heart the place to start or can this be applied to any organ? Is this, or, yeah. or you no, know, I, how I, does all of this work? that you know there's still not great uh scientific studies out there in why there, there's i think it's hard to study in the model we're using right we're using a model of a random double blind control trial and it it doesn't fit this type of science doesn't fit in that model they so have it's to like the tools so it's like it's like you know the 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 infrastructure of our streets are not yet prepared for intellectual cars that drive on their own. Right. So so if if the infrastructure is not prepared for something like this, it's very difficult to study it, right? And and right. to kind of you implement know. it. Yeah. yeah. How do you standardize it? Right. right. Well, that's my right. That's what, because exactly. It's, because it's it's personalized. Like so, so right. the energy work you do on one person would be different. Completely different. How right. Do, how do you standardize those things? And so, hmm. you know, all of the science we have now is based on standardization of, of of the the treatment group versus the control. You can't standardize this. That's well, which 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 brings me to my next question, which was going to lead us into healthcare and the privatization of 
you know, of, of where we are from private practices as opposed to insurance-based practices. You know, I, like you said, right? So within this model, it, it can't be standardized, right? So with, with what you do from a one-on-one -on -one standpoint, which each person knowing that has to be different, you're going to get a different formula energetically from each individual. There is no standardization. So obviously this is in, in, in our worlds and what we do and then what you do, um, you know, the insurance model will never work <laughs> in the avenue no. of what we do because it just, it doesn't fit into that scope. Right. So, um, and, and, right. and where, where do you stand on that? And, and where are yeah. you within the insurance world into the private practice world and how this all ties in? Yeah. So, so, you know, we're kind of leaping forward. So, so that was the, 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 what got me, what I was doing that, that yes. was down at Columbia, you know, kind of got brought to a halt by, by forces outside of our control. So we never, we never quite finished it. The research needs to be different. I, I, you know, I don't think it's ever really been done on that again, but mm -hmm. there's research on mind body medicine, which is different than that. And there's research on acupuncture. So those are different you know, types of research. So insurance, um, I am not in insurance anymore, but we were in insurance a really long time. Insurance doesn't really recognize uh, anything but what they want to recognize. Like they're not going to recognize uh, alternative medicine, or if they do, the reimbursement's going to be incredibly low. So, um, you know, a lot of this has to be done outside the insurance model because they're not going to pay for an hour long imagery session with somebody. Right. You know, so a lot of, and if, and if they decide to do that, you're going to take a major, major cut as right. a, as a provider. So they, they have their uh, list of what they will pay for and what they won't pay for. And most of the things, m most of my body medicine falls outside that scope of practice. So, so your practice is private. Now it is, but we did, um, this dance between, you know, this marriage between functional medicine and mind body medicine. And a lot of what we were doing, we weren't getting reimbursed for, for many, many years where we would weave it all in and Bob and weave through insurance up until two years ago. And then we just couldn't uh, getting too old to see as many patients as we were seeing and try to do all of this. And the reimbursements were going down and down and down. So well, you can't give the same personal care. It's impossible. It's which right. then devalues what you do, which then messes with your philosophy, which then doesn't allow you to be who you are. <laughs> right. right. It was so, an assignment, right? So we, we did it as long as we could because we wanted to offer this from every, for everybody. And then what we began to realize is people started having these large deductibles anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, and functional medicine started coming out with really good research on functional medicine. They're in Cleveland Clinic. They're doing research. There's more validity on, um, on functional medicine, doing uh, outcome studies and different, different types of studies. So, you know, we started and people had large deductibles. So we started doing fee for service and made our fees really, really reasonable compared to uh, other people in the industry. So that mm -hmm. could, uh, when we first started for our existing patients, we did uh, one day a month where we do free or deeply discounted services to people that couldn't afford. So it wouldn't just be for the wealthy. And then, you know, we, we give people something to submit because we're medical doctors. We, we still have credentials with the diagnosis. Sure. We give people slips to uh, submit to their insurance companies and it's called out of network where they'll be reimbursed and it'll come sure. off your deductible. Or if they have a flex savings, it can be 
paid through a flex savings. So we've figured out ways that people could still afford us and get this kind of care, but we're not burnt out and we stay whole financially and we can keep our doors open. So one of the things that I'm noticing in the business that Lori and I, you know, have created and we're involved in is, you know, we, we do a lot of also the mental aspect and the spiritual aspect, you know, our company motto is change your mind, change your body, right? Train your mind, change your body. Right. So, so what happens is, you know, with us, you know, we believe, and I personally believe that the, 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 bridge that gaps what will eventually show all of these insurance companies how much money they are wasting on a yearly basis on unhealthy patients on all of these premiums and deductibles and all of these things is something that is holistic as well as um, traditional medicine combined and that's fitness and nutrition <laughs> because there is a direct correlation that bridges the gap between the holistic world and, and, and the traditional medicine world. And if you understand how to utilize proper nutrition with proper fitness under a systemized process, it can render their medical scientific results that they are looking for, as well as show the spiritual shift that we know exists. So, so do you think that that is and, and companies like ours and what we do. And do you think that, that that is the starting point? Because, see, to me, I knew nothing about functional medicine until I met Lori, right? And, and I've been in this industry for 20 years. So, and, I, and, and I'm like, oh, and I start reading about functional medicine. The first few months we had met, I kept asking, I don't really understand this, right? <laughs> and when I really started understanding what it was, then I was like, oh, to me, it looked like the gray area between holistic and traditional medicine. I'm like, fantastic. Where are the avenues here that can marry this side to this side? And how do we create something that allows this bridge to pull itself together? And then it'll allow, you know, insurance companies and the medical world and, you know, and, and this area to be able to possibly the medical world can actually put in a couple of nutrition and fitness courses for their doctors because maybe that's the most component of key component of the human body that they learn nothing about in medical school. <laughs> like, you know, like maybe we can go that route in a couple of years and, and these curriculums for the youth can start teaching these things. So 10 years from now, the upcoming doctors and the upcoming practitioners can have a different understanding. Maybe they can implement a mind-body type of protocol within what they do. So people yeah. can open up their minds to this world. Isn't I mean, what's your somebody, take on that? Isn't there somebody now actually helping to fund courses for doctors? I, I think I picked that up. On uh, I, I, I'm not aware, Lori. I don't well, know. But we're, I, moving, we're moving in that direction. So it's not, you know, the, the young doctors coming out, they get it. We don't need to convert them. Yeah. They're there. They're, they're on yeah. to it. And so well, the environment is different for them. Yeah, it, it's yeah. different. So we're not, we're preaching to the choir. So converting some of these older doctors, and it's not that they don't believe fitness and nutrition is important. They don't. They don't have. They the, just don't know anything about it. They don't have right. the time to do it. They, they don't know anything yeah. about it. So in other countries, like when I lecture in Peru for uh, functional medicine, they're changing on a dime because the systems aren't bogged down 
right? right. They, they, when, when the people at the top want to make a change, so they've done cooking kitchens for their doctors, they're teaching them year-long nutrition, they're teaching them how to cook as their medicine, they're teaching them how to use indigenous herbs, they're teaching them functional medicine, right in medical school curriculum. They changed it like on a dime um, because the influencers in the country thought that this was important. Healthy people, healthy country, right? right. So, um, and in the United States, it will happen. It's starting to happen. It's just a slower process because you've got to get through all of the red tape in the academic institutions and begin to, but it's, it's happening. So the more research, the more cred we get at, um, you know, Cleveland Clinic and places that, like that and, you know, Yale University Nursing School, I'm a clinical instructor for them and they're asking me lots of questions about all that we're doing. They're having me teach their nurses. So, it will happen, it's slow to happen. The, the thing, and you bring up a really good point, is we have a disease uh, system model where we're yeah. reimbursed as doctors if people are sick. Right. We're not reimbursed for preventing them getting sick. We get reimbursed, all of our codes are sickness codes. So we don't get paid if they're well. So right. that needs to flip on its access. 100%. People get reimbursed for taking care of their health. So if they go through your program, their insurance companies should reimburse them for being well. Right. And that, that those are the they, stuff that we're working on from a, it's more, to me, it's more of a political conversation in a sense, you know, so, right. So, so, you know, we, we're, we're eventually looking to get more involved with certain legislators that can understand yeah. things at, at a, at a local level. And then, right. you know, um, you know, we live in a, I know myself, I live in a town in Seacliff, uh, which is a one square mile town that has, is, is very, very leading in the industry and all of environmental issues. Like they don't allow any of the restaurants and bars to use plastic straws. Uh, none of the rest of, none of the stores or the supermarkets can give plastic bags. You have to get, you know, there's, there's all of these different avenues that we're moving towards. And the mayor of our town actually just our program. <laughs> was one of our patients, <laughs> Mayor Ed Lieberman. And, you know, so, so you know, we're, we're, we're starting to maneuver. I think one of the things that needs to be really touched upon is understanding how to catch the political and, and, and the legislator avenues of this um, and getting their minds and their understanding to, to, to catch on board here because, you know, this is going, this is not a just an insurance company or a medical based process. This is a company that, you know, has the, the legislators, the, the insurance companies, the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies to an extent, as well as the supplement companies, as well as the medical world. It has to have a combination of understanding how to get all of these people on board to be able to get us moving forward ahead. You know, I know you're involved with KBMO, right? There, there is a fantastic company right there that allows for certain testing, right? That gives us specific information that can truly help change a person's body. We ourselves created our own genetic profile where we, with our geneticists, look through a person's genes and see the predispositions to something. And once you start having information like what a person's predisposed to, where are their inflammatory responses, what's their blood work showing you today, you start to be able to have a clear-cut outline and a conversation with that person as to, hey, this is what's going on. Here are the steps that we can help 
And then to top it all off is I think where, you know, what you're talking about is we've implemented the coaching, the one-on-one mental and physical and spiritual aspect to connect with the physical part to say, Hey, this is how you get through it. This is how you break those barriers mentally. This is how you get past those marks that have constantly shut you down over the years, right? So here's the information. Here's how you do it. And it becomes an education process. So the coaching piece of it, Monique, speak a little bit about your experience in terms of, I think, the success the level of success and how that shifts and maybe even, you know, if you look at companies like Weight Watchers, you know, like where groups or everything, but I don't know how successful everybody is. It's certainly not personalized, but you know, some of the distinctions between, you know, groups like that and, and individual coaching, like in, in yeah, terms sure. of, yeah. So, so there's, there's sort of things. So there's nothing like group support and accountability. So there, there's a place for group meetings, but within the group meetings, you're not personalizing the issues. So it's been my experience that it's not that people don't know what to eat. It's not that people right, that's right. don't know that they should be exercising. That right. has nothing to do with why they're not doing it. 100% correct. And so you, working with people individually, you can figure out what is it that's preventing them moving forward on these things that they know they should be doing that they're not doing. And if you have a coach that does it and you take away the shame and blame, like you can't hate yourself out of a bad habit, right? So people get into these loops where they keep reaching for the same food and doing the same things that aren't good for them. And then they feel bad about themselves and then they're, then they're self-loathing and self-critical and then they reach for the thing again to ease the right. downward spiral. So, yeah, and so and so it goes the, the wheel of fortune. So what coaches do is they have the opportunity to be with people one on one during that critical incubation period between they're ready to take action, they're starting to take action, but breaking habitual patterns. Because these habitual patterns, we get neuronal networks in the brain where those patterns become hardwired into the brain. So it's more than just making a physical choice. They have to disintegrate old patterns of behavior. In, in, in the brain, neuronal networks, and Absolutely. neuronal networks. And during that critical period, when people are doing that, they need constant reinforcement from people. And if they get constant reinforcement and someone that they can talk through what the block was that they know is going to be there and they get over that critical hump, they'll be on autopilot because they'll create new neuronal networks that will be the dominant pattern but they need a lot of support to get to a new neuronal network with a dot with a dominant pattern and everybody's block is different. And yeah. we, need to, we need to understand what their block is, what their motivation is, what, what, what's that sweet spot that's going to get them to take action and move forward. And some people, they just need help breaking it down. Like they have this big lofty goal, right? You know, I want to run a marathon and meanwhile they're 80 pounds overweight and have been, right. Know, but if they, that's a great goal. But if you can break that down to baby steps with getting them, the, well, just buy the running shoes and then we'll just Small walk habit, for yeah. 10 minutes. It's taking the big lofty goal, breaking it down, helping them move towards, that's the success. 
Right. I, lo I love that. And, and before, before we, uh, we, 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 we end this conversation and this podcast, I want to kind of leave you off with one thing because I, I love the way your brain works and, and your background. So one of the things in 20 years of physical fitness in, in, in my field that I've learned and I've studied that I, I think is very overlooked. I actually have very rarely have ever seen other people talk about this. We always talk about sparking the spirit and the mind to change the body. Whereas the one thing that we all have that's actually similar and exactly the same is the human body. So if you understand how the human body turns every single muscle on through the central nervous system and how it affects the organs and you back into the problem by doing it from a physical standpoint, you wake up specific neurons that wake up specific energy patterns that actually spark the mind in a completely different way. So, you, and so instead of having somebody who has no clue of meditation metaphysics or any study of this pattern but they understand that they have a human body because they can see it they can feel it they can understand it and the science of it works to them if you take it from that approach and you teach them how to mind muscle connection mentally connect to the proper muscles and the proper sequence at that point I think you can really get them to spark behavioral changes and patterns bingo spot on it works both ways you can yeah. come through the body to change the mind, and you can come through the mind. To change. It's bi-directional. Bingo. I, I love it. Monique, um, this was a fascinating conversation. We would love to have you on again. This is, Great. I'm sure there's a lot more we can talk about here. So um, thank you so much for joining us. This was phenomenal. This, you gave me personally a lot of insight. Before, before, you, a lot. before you end this, Sam, Monique, just... Yeah. A little bit of a just tell us about the Functional Medicine Coaching University because we have yeah, right. Well, that's what I wanted to get to. I yeah. mean, where if someone wants to contact you and 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 wants to know more about what you guys do, where would they go? The Functional Medicine the Institute, oh, right? The coaching my, my program. Practice. Yeah, they, they they can go to my practice, uh, the Center for Functional Medicine in Stanford. Two zero three three two one zero two zero zero is our phone number. And then my email is Monique at the C is in center, F is in functional, F is in functional, M is in medicine.com. So they can yeah. email me, they can call the practice, they'll pass it on to me. And um, that's the best way to get me and I can answer all of their questions. Uh, directly. And beautiful. And all of this will be in our citations of Great. the notes from this podcast. So you'll be able to have all that information. Um, Monique, again, thank you so much for this. This was truly a pleasure. And uh, yes, the bow. I, I, I do this one, but whatever works for you. Hey, I'll, I'll work that one. I'll open anything. Right, or like so. this nowadays. <laughs> nowadays right. is for you. Right. Well, you know, it's it, it, and, and, and I'll leave on the note, and we didn't get a chance to get into what's going on in today's world. And I, I kind of didn't want to because I wanted people to have an escape and understanding hope instead of talking about panic. Um, so, but, you know, it's, it's interesting how in the ancient words of, of Zen, right, you sit in meditation by yourself and you bow without contact. And that's the world we live in today. <laughs> so, um, This is the last thing I'm going to say. I know, I know you got to yeah. go. But no better opportunity. Everybody's old patterns have been ripped away, right? They can't Absolutely, get Starbucks, right. attachments, can't get their yep. ice cream. They can't. They can't go to the restaurant they like to pick out in. They, you know, yep. all the patterns have been ripped away. What a perfect opportunity to create 
new patterns and new yep. opportunities. For I love it. Well let's, said. Let's, well let's lead the way all together. All right, Monique. It was a okay. pleasure. Great good, talking to good you. Good talking to you as well. Keep up the Take good work. Take care. You Bye. got it. Bye. Bye-bye.